Hi, I'm uh, Gavin Giovannoni. I'm Professor of Neurology at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, and I'm doing this MS Selfie podcast around a new uh, research paper that's just come out from Sweden. Um, I'll give you some background because this research paper supports some work I did 30 years ago when I first arrived in London to do a, a PhD. And uh, I use the analogy of a scrubbing brush because I've had this idea that we probably need to clear the brain and spinal cord of B cells and plasma cells that are known to produce uh, immunoglobulin or antibodies within the nervous system. And we think these antibodies are important because they are probably one of the drivers of some of the pathology we see in smoldering multiple sclerosis. And uh, uh, the reason why I had this hypothesis is when I arrived in London, I was doing a lot of reading around spinal fluid and spinal fluid immunoglobulins and their role in MS. And although we've been using excessive uh, immunoglobulins in the spinal fluid as a diagnostic test for 50 or more years, we haven't been able to pin down what they react to. But I uh, was of the opinion back then that they're unlikely to be there for no reason at all. And if we want to pin down the cause, we have to find out what these oligoclonal bands uh, are binding to. And we have some evidence that these immunoglobulin bands and the immunoglobulins produced in the spinal fluid are pathogenic. In other words, they are doing something they shouldn't be doing. And there is circumstantial evidence that they are not good for remyelination. They are possibly involved in the so-called slowly expanding or the paramagnetic rim lesion, those lesions that get large over time. They are also present in acute demyelinating lesions, there's evidence of antibody deposition and this complement activation which damages uh, oligodendrocytes and myelin. Uh, and they're also probably uh, important in those lesions that occur on the surface of the brain. We call these the longitudinal, these long subpedal lesions. Uh, and we know that the immunoglobulin activate microglia and macrophages, and that's one of the reasons why we're trying to downregulate macrophages with drugs because we think the immunoglobulin stimulating the receptors on these cells drives the activity. So we have a lot of reasons why we should try and get rid of the oligoclonal bands and the cells that make the oligoclonal bands to treat MS, particularly smoldering MS. And when I came to London, my PhD supervisor, Professor Ed Thompson, made me read a, a literature around oligoclonal bands and CSF immunoglobulins. And I was particularly struck by a paper that he did with uh, Professor Peter Raj, uh, another mentor of mine at Queen Square, that showed that the drug cyclosporin A, now cyclosporin A is a drug that's used to immunosuppress people having solid organ uh, transplants, for example, renal transplants. And I'm acutely aware of this drug because my father, who had a, a, a renal transplant, uh, took cyclosporin. Um, and what they showed was in the uh, trial of MS patients on cyclosporin, that cyclosporin actually reduced the immunoglobulin, immunoglobulin-free light chains in the spinal fluid. So it was actually having an impact on uh, CNS B cell biology. Now, cyclosporin doesn't cross very well into the central nervous system, so this could have been due to its effects on the peripheral immune cells. Cyclosporin is a drug that works against T cells. <laughs> I mean, it completely revolutionized solid organ transplant. Um, and I'm not even, I don't even know if you're aware, but there was a big phase three trial of cyclosporin in chronic progressive MS. That was in an era where we didn't divide people into primary or secondary progressive. 
And actually, the drug worked. It actually slowed down disability worsening in people with advanced or progressive MS. Um, Tragically, the drug never got licensed, uh, despite the positive trial. Uh, And the reason for that is that quite a large number of people in the trial got renal toxicity from the drug, and they thought the risk-benefit wasn't good enough, so it never got licensed. And the the reason why it's quite sad is uh, the renal or the transplant physicians actually eventually worked out with a reformulating cyclosporin uh, to be able to reduce the renal toxicity. So there was a drug actually back in the 1980s that was shown to work in progressive MS that was never taken forward. So that is the great tragedy uh, of the field, is that we had therapies that were very, very effective, um, uh, you know, in suppressing uh, uh, worsening MS, and we never took it forward. And this actually predates the era of interferons. Um, so people are quite surprised when I remind them um, <laughs> of this fact. Anyway, just to say to you that immunoglobulins are made up of uh, two heavy chains and two light chains. So you may have heard that the heavy chains are, are named after the alphabet. We have uh, uh, immunoglobulin D, M, A, E, and G. And if you look at IgGG, there are f- four subtypes, IgG1, 2, 3, and 4. And then when it comes to the light chains, there's just two classes of light chains, the so-called kappa and lambda. And interestingly, so when the B cells and the plasma cells make immunoglobulin, they tend to make too much light chain. So there's excessive kappa and lambda. And what happens is when they put these together and to make the immunoglobulin antibody and secrete it, they actually secrete a lot of free light chains, free kappa and lambda light chains. And you can actually use kappa and lambda light chains as a as a biomarker of immunoglobulin production. So you, when you do a lumbar puncture and you take the spinal fluid and you measure kappa and lambda light chains, you find that MS patients have very high levels and they correlate very well with the presence of oligoclonal bands. And they're actually a biomarker um, of the production. So they get, they, the, the level of immunoglobulin light change is proportional to the amount of antibody being produced. And so they are a biomarker of central nervous system, B cell and plasma cell activity. And so that's why I was so excited to see that a treatment for MS reduced CSF uh, light chains. And the question is, could we we use this as a biomarker for testing other therapies? And we are. You know, I developed, uh, I spent quite a lot of time developing quantitative assays uh, in the laboratory where you can actually measure the amount of free light chain, and they worked. So we used those assays on CSF. Um, They didn't work very well in blood. They worked very well in CSF and urine, and we produced publications back in the 19, well, in the noughties. Um, actually, I had so much data when I left my PhD that we continue to write up the, uh, the urine uh, light chain data uh, for, ye- for years after my PhD finished. Anyway, we are in our group now using CSF cap and lambda light chain levels as a, a marker to see if new treatment strategies can target these cells. And so we are running uh, clinical trials of of cladribine. There's one called cladriplas, which is subcutaneous cladribine, and there's clad B, which is oral cladribine with maven clad. Uh, And also we've got the Sizemus trial where we're testing this drug called exosomid, uh, which is a CNS-penetrant drug that blocks the proteasome. So it clogs up the protein uh, synthesis machinery, and it triggers actually plasma cells to die. Uh, and this is a drug that's licensed for myeloma, a malignancy of plasma cells. 
And at ECNS Penetrant, and we're trying to scrub the brain clean, you know, either using cladribine or exosomid to see if we can actually help people with more advanced disease, in other words, stop smoldering uh, MS. And our primary outcome is we're doing lumbar punctures at baseline and follow-up, and we're measuring to see what the impact is. If these treatments are going to work, they should be killing B cells and plasma cells. And we have a, a clue already that uh, cladribine is doing this. There was a study from Poland showing that people with multiple sclerosis treated with actually intravenous cladribine um, were able to scrub their brains clean of oligoclonal bands. About half of them lost their OCBs, and those patients had stable MS compared to the ones that weren't able to scrub the OCBs from the spinal fluid. So this is incredibly exciting, these trials. And, uh, um, you know, I think they're potentially game changers because if we can show that targeting CNS pathology uh, improves outcomes, we will have an, a whole new class of therapy. So let's watch this um, space. Um, other potential therapies that get into the central nervous system uh, are the BTK inhibitors and potentially CD19-targeted uh, CAR T-cells. These are engineered T-cells that I've written about in a previous newsletter. The BTK inhibitors are closest to market, and the ones that are CNS-penetrant are being designed to actually go into the central nervous system and target B-cells and uh, microglia to downregulate them to see if they have an effect. So the reason why they work against B-cells is because B-cells requires signaling through this particular protein or this enzyme, breaching tyrosine kinase, uh, to make immunoglobulin and to stay alive. Now, I'll be surprised if BTK inhibitors scrub the brain clean of OCBs because the long-lived plasma cell doesn't, rare, doesn't use BTK as a pro-survival signal. So they are likely to be resistant to BTK inhibitors. But let's see. You know, we... and. Uh, I think I'm aware of people doing add-on CSF studies on the BTK inhibitors. When it comes to CAR T-cells, I'd urge you to go back to a um, MSL for newsletter I wrote in September last year discussing the rationale of why we need to use these engineered CAR T-cells. Um, uh, and these CAR T-cells go all over the body and get into the brain and will kill B-cells. Uh, again, because we are targeting a, a molecule on B cells, CD19, uh, which is not expressed on long-lived plasma cells, CAR T cells may not scrub the CNS clean of plasma cells. So this is why we may need to go a bit beyond just targeting CD19, but also targeting molecules that are on plasma cells. And there are CAR T cells that do that. Anyway, um, I've put up a little YouTube video in the newsletter which explains to the rationale of why we're doing the Sizemus trial. And if you are interested and you live close by, please get yourself referred to our center uh, to have um, uh, uh, to participate. Just to be to be aware that if you do go into the Sizemus trial, you have to have lumbar punctures because that's the only way we can really measure whether we're impacting on the CNS pathology and so the biomarkers in the spinal fluid. <clears throat> So just to complete then, um, there's just come a paper. The reason why I'm doing this is just a paper's just been published from Gothenburg in Sweden where they actually measured the spinal fluid kappa and lambda uh, levels and they created cutoffs. And they showed that people who had very high levels of CSF kappa and lambda light, chain, uh, light chains, in other words, they had increased hemoglobulin production, were much more likely to have progression independent of relapse activity or PERA, which is a part of smoldering MS. So this is now a new study that's just come out from a large natural history cohort in Sweden showing you that this biomarker actually predicts poor outcomes. So if that's the case, 
we should test the hypothesis. If we reduce the biomarker with our therapies, will we change the long-term history? And so this supports the hypothesis that underpins the Sizemus, Cladriplas, and the Cladribine B study and supports us using CNS penetrant BTK inhibitors. And it makes a very, very strong argument for using CAR T cells targeting CD19 in a CNS B, uh, CNS B, cell, B cells and potentially the plasma cell as well. So I think we're entering into a phase of uh, multiple sclerosis research where we're thinking way beyond just switching off relapses and MRI activity. So it's not good enough in my books to be just free of inflammatory disease activity. We need to go beyond that and protect the end organ. In other words, stop uh, the accelerated brain volume loss that occurs in MS. What we're trying to do is normalize brain volume loss. And And it's quite obvious you know people who have brain volume loss don't do well in the long term so we want to give you as normal brain as possible when you get to old age so you can age normally anyway i've put up four papers <coughs> um in the in the email or you know on the on the website you know just showing you um the data that goes back to the 1980s around cyclosporin and its impact on uh, csf uh, light chain levels I put in the publication from Sweden, just showing you the uh, survival curves. How you know uh, people who have high levels are much worse off in terms of progression. And I've also just put in something where we published um, data on our cap uh, and lambda free light chain levels in, in urine. Anyway, enjoy this. This is a research uh, MS selfie, but I'm telling you that it's applied research and it's really, really important to do research to find out what happens, um, you know, in terms of defining a treatment target in MS. Anyway, if you have any questions, ask. I'll try and deal with them. And uh, uh, if you can afford to and you haven't yet, please become a paying subscriber. Um, I've had quite a lot of drop-offs in terms of subscribers in the last uh, two to three months. Um, I'm not asking people who can't afford to pay for the MS selfie. I'm just asking people who can afford to pay to to, to help out if you find it uh, helpful. The uh, funding is paying for our uh, uh, medical uh, medical writer and a website designer to support our um, MS selfie microsite, which is a, a curated version of MS selfie. So people can go there and find information very quickly, particularly the newly diagnosed patients. So we're trying to create this online resource to help uh, uh, activate people into self-managing uh, multiple sclerosis. Thank you.